all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. On MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good morning to everybody. We're going to be taking your calls during this hour concerning any type of health care questions that you might have or any kind of issues that you want to comment on related to the health care of yourself or someone in your family, or maybe it's a grandchild or grandparent. Feel free to Uh, Call us and contact us with any kind of those questions or comments. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you can't call this morning, just send us us an email. You can send that to remedy at mpbonline.org. I also want to encourage you to go back and listen to previous programs. You can go to our archive at mpbonline.org and just search for Southern Remedy. Well, glad to be back live with you this morning uh, for those of you who are tuning in live. Now, we've gotten uh, sort of uh, all kinds of things happening with uh, a lot of the the uh, information uh, from the Capitol and uh, with our nation and then, uh, of course, our ice storm here in the south. And I hope everyone weathered that well. I know a lot of people uh, were without power, without water. Actually, we didn't have appreciable water pressure until uh, yesterday. So that's uh, something that I know a lot of people are uh, still dealing with. Uh, there are a lot of uh, access points to different things Um uh, different places, so uh, I'd encourage you to reach out and uh, help each other out too. If you have water or access to it, uh, one thing we've even encouraged at our own institution for our residents in training, uh, doctors in training, to uh, that live a little bit further out, to uh, you know, to uh, those who live nearer and have water and power, we uh, you know, getting them to help out as well. So that's one thing about Mississippi that I have always enjoyed that we help each other out in uh, times like that. So I'd encourage you to do that. Also, I'd encourage you to go ahead and call in. A lot of people are a little bit hesitant to make that first phone call to be that first person on the air, but we have a lot more time usually in the first part of the hour. So go ahead and call us with your questions or comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to uh, Beaumont. Uh, I'm sorry, Sue from Beaumont. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Good to talk to you, Sue. I want to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, years ago, I was diagnosed with atrial fib, and I take medication for that. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, due to this freezing weather we've had, I dug out my old electric blanket. I seem like you, you, I asked you this question years ago, but I don't remember. But uh, I, when you have atrial fib, uh, somebody said you're not supposed to use electric blankets because electricity interferes with the electrical maneuvers of your heart. Is that true or not? 
That is, yeah, it's a question I've gotten several times by patients. So if you have an electric, if you have atrial fibrillation, which is a an arrhythmia, so that's an abnormal rhythm in your heart, so it's like the electrical system in the heart isn't quite doing what it's supposed to do, and it puts you at risk for having clots. Um, there's several different ways to treat that. Sometimes they'll, uh, you know, the rate of your heart, the heart rate may be a little bit too fast and they'll slow it down with medications or sometimes get you back in a regular re rhythm. Um, uh, blood thinners are given, again, to decrease the, the risk of stroke uh, that goes along with that. So that's, you know, something else to keep in mind. But back to your question about if you have an electric blanket, will that electricity that flows through that electric blanket interfere with your heart? And I've talked to cardiologists about this, and the answer is no, it should not. Right. Now, uh, you know, people who had pacemakers in and those kinds of things, sometimes there are some devices that you wouldn't want to get around. That, you know, a lot of those initial things that were, were recommended from physicians were 20, 30 years ago. Uh, so if that, if that current going through that electric blanket is strong enough to change the current in your heart, you would get shocked. You would feel a shock uh, that would go through your chest. Uh, so unless you have a short in that blanket, which you don't want anyway, um, I think you're probably fine to use that uh, with atrial fibrillation. It shouldn't change the natural rhythm of your heart or cause you to have more AFib uh, just from, from using that. So we want you to stay warm, Sue. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can call us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to George from Clinton. Good morning, George. Good morning. Question. I uh, took uh, COVID shot number one on Monday, a Monday. Uh, on that Saturday, uh, diagnosed uh, positive. Uh, that Saturday night, uh, went and took the infusion, uh, came home, spent my 14 days in prison, uh, <laughs> and then uh, a couple of days out, and then uh, the uh, snowstorm storm hit. Uh, question is, uh, I'm due to take the second uh, shot. Should I wait 90 days, or can I go ahead and take the shot uh, this week when it's scheduled? Yeah, you need to wait 90 days from when you had the infection. So, uh, you know, the first the reason for getting two doses, particularly with the Pfizer and Moderna, is because after that first dose, really, it's about two weeks after you receive that vaccination dose that you start to have appreciable antibodies to protect you. So, you know, one week, five days out, you probably got exposed a little bit before that, um, and and that's the reason why you got it. But you still need to get that second one. But what they're recommending now is to wait 90 days after you've either had the infection or that infusion, which I'm, I'm guessing that was probably the monoclonal antibody infusion, right? That's correct. Now, the problem right. I have is uh, I'm hearing your answer from a lot of these uh, amateur doctors that are friends of mine. Uh, but I called my doctor's office and talked to my doctor's nurse. She talked to the doctor. The doctor said, go ahead and take it now and get it out of the way. Yeah, it's not recommended by the CDC or in the vaccine. Uh, if you read, like the recommend, both those vaccines have both Moderna and Pfizer have 
they have recommendations for different type of situations to give it. And on that vaccination information, it'll say do not give if you've had either the infusion or infection until you wait 90 days. Um, and again, the, the reasoning for that is that you want to be cleared of the original infection, or at least at least to the point. The, the bigger one of that is the monoclonal antibodies, because those antibodies will neutralize what you're going to get as a result of the vaccine um, and interfere with the ability of your own body to produce antibodies against that, even though you're already doing that presumably at least a little bit because you got the first vaccine and you got COVID. I don't think it's as big an issue in your <clears throat> in your case, but I do think you probably should wait 90 days, particularly after getting that monoclonal antibody. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening and calling. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is uh, Southern Remedy. Let's go to Edward from Jackson. Good morning, Edward. What's your question or comment today? Yes, sir. Uh, I've had the first shot of the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Uh-huh. And I also take uh, Prograf and uh, Celsep for kidney transplant, and I can't find out any information on any drug interreactions with that. Now, nothing's happened. I, you know, I've got the flu shot. I feel fine. I haven't had any problems. But would you know a good place to decide, like WebMD or someplace, uh, to try to find out the uh, drug interreactions between the, the vaccine and what I'm taking? Yeah, you can you can look on the CDC website, um, and that's cdc.gov, G-O-V, and they'll have some information there about that. If you'll just Google in that on that main site the the vaccine uh, the Pfizer vaccine, but you're probably not going to find a whole lot just because of the quickness with which these were developed did not allow for the normal testing period. You know, I think people need to understand that normally vaccines take anywhere from two to five years to develop, or sometimes even longer than that. And part of that process is testing it out, you know, in different situations, like you mentioned, whether you're on a couple of different medications for transplant uh, that that modulate your immune system or in other other ways. So, you're probably not going to find that information, and I would check with your uh, transplant physicians just to see what their viewpoint is on it. I know everybody sort of has their own opinion, but if you've got an autoimmune disease, if you have, um, you know, if you've had a solid organ transplant, if you've had a bone marrow transplant, all those things are situations where I would check with my physician who's following you up for those conditions just to get their input on that. I think, though, we've had, you know, we've had about 65 million people get vaccinated in the United States right now, and that's enough, and we're still collecting data on any kind of side effects that we're we're getting more of a of an understanding that we don't really have a whole lot of interactions from these vaccines and they're probably safe. So if I was your physician, I'd say you're probably safe to get it, but I still would check with your own physician. But check out the website, the cdc.gov website, and just Google uh, or just search uh, within that website for Pfizer vaccine, and you should get all the information to it. And there may be a link there, too, to the vaccination site that, that shows you some of those numbers. Well, I've done all that, and that's why I called you to see if you have some idea. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, and it's all about timing. <laughs> you know, the other question I get is, how long is this going to be good for? The que the answer is we don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we do know it is effective, and we think that it's effective for up to, like, eight months 
five to eight months or so, and that's only because we've been giving it. You know, it's been in the trial initial trials it's that long, and it still shows protection. But we still don't know from year to year if this is going to be something like the flu vaccine or that kind of thing. Theoretically, there shouldn't be any reason why your immune system would have problems with it. So, you know, I, but I still would check with your transplant physicians first. Uh, just one more comment. That one gentleman said he was in prison for 14 days. <laughs> right. I'll be in prison the rest of my life. I can't get around nobody because if I get it, uh, you know, uh, I'm 75, and it, it, it'll be virtually uh, with all the stuff I'm taking. And, you know, that's why uh, I was just curious about that because I, I wouldn't want to take a chance. Without, right. Yeah, it'll be 13 years in a couple of weeks I got this kidney. And, oh, that's uh, great. Protected as much as I possibly can. But I appreciate the information. I enjoy listening to your program. You're a All real right. good guy. There ain't too many of them around anymore. <laughs> have a good okay, thank you, Edward. I appreciate that. Yeah, you do have to be careful if you've had a transplant. That's true. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls and questions that you might have about your health care needs. Uh, the number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Mentioned, I uh, hope everybody's staying safe after the ice storm and snowstorm and colder weather we had last week. Also want to mention, if you do get water back, please be careful with it. Even if you don't receive a notice from your um, water provider, uh, you want to be sure that even if it looks clear that you're probably boiling that for at least a week as long as the water pressure remains constant. Uh, of course, if there are other notifications from your water provider, you want to pay close attention to that. There's a lot of nasty stuff that you can get, a lot of parasites, bacteria, and viruses that can be waterborne, particularly in um, water that's lost its pressure or is untreated. So just keep that in mind uh, as you're uh, getting your water supply back. Let's go to Jim from Jackson. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for your uh, question. Uh, yes, sir. i got a question for you. But okay. First of all, I, 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 said that I listen to your program a lot, and you do a super job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Too kind. Uh, no, it's true. But what I want to ask you is, when we first lost pressure here in Jackson, it looked like there was probably less of a problem then than it is now as far as the water, uh, water being a problem. But, and I say that because at first they said 
they weren't necessarily saying that they uh, that uh, that the water was uh, you know wasn't good, safe to drink. And now you got the cold red and saying you know it's really bad news. Uh, what I want to ask you is this: I, I try to use a water filter in place of buying a, you know plastic bottles, and uh, several days into this, I, I was filling the water uh, the water filter up, and I forgot. I went to the sink and I went ahead and filled it up. And I said, "Oh no." I, I didn't do too much, but anyway, I, I put some water in there that, you know, that, uh, that had not been boiled. And my question is this: I've, I've already, I've already run the, you know, run the water through the filter uh, a couple of times several days ago, and I wondered should I just take the filter out and, and maybe let it dry, or should I discard the filter? I don't have another one right now, but discard the filter, or uh, you know. Perhaps you can't answer this question, but anyhow, that was my question. Yeah, if and this is a filter that's in your, like in a refrigerator or something well, that you're no, putting no, it through. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's what I call a brutal. It's, I'm sorry, it's called a, it's called a brutal filter. Yeah, yeah, and you, okay. And you just put the filter into the, uh, into the container, and it's supposed to last. You know, in my case, I got a little less than filter, like six months. And of course, you take it out and you replace it. But my question is, I could take it out and let it dry, and I could wash the uh, could wash the container, let it sit there for several days. You know, I just want to see what you think. Should, should I just go ahead and discard it, or what do you think? I, you know, if you want to be extra careful, I go ahead and discard it. Even if you dry it out, there are some, particularly parasites, that that's not going to kill them. They'll they have a cyst phase uh, that they they can go to, and they sort of have this hard core. And they can last, you know, dried out like that. Um, but it, the amount of water that you put through there, it shouldn't have been that big a deal, I think, just a little bit. But if you want to be extra careful, I'd do that. Um, bowling will kill all of that. Right, right. Right. Oh, I forgot I didn't, I didn't boil the water. <laughs> Yes, right. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to be extra careful, I'd just throw it away and start over because drying it is probably not going to cut down your risk. It might, it might have some bacteria and viruses, but even if you try to dry it out on those, particularly the ceramic filters, you're uh-huh. still going to have some water that's trapped in those micropores that's going to allow things to to stay there. But um, that, that, that'd be the safest thing to do. But, um, but I, I don't think it's that much of a risk. Okay. Well, one quick comment to you, Trent. As far as a bottle of water, it's plastic usually. And uh, some people think we don't have climate change, and that may be true. But we definitely got a plastic problem, and we need to figure out some way because there's so much of it is dumped in the oceans and so forth. We sure need to work on the plastic. Yeah, I agree. I've been trying to cut down on mine, too, just because of that. And, uh, you know, you see so much in different places of the world where this, where plastic sort of ends up in the ocean and gets sort of clogged up. So it's definitely something to think about. And, you know, stainless steel is a good reusable resource. Of course, you use more water to wash that out, but still there's you know, sort of a trade-off there. Uh, and, uh, you know, some other materials, too. So something to think about. So, Jim, thank you for your, uh, for your call, um, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, I did want to mention it's a busy morning. That's great. So if you can't get through today, just keep calling. Um, and then, again, if you can't reach us today during the hour, you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Rachel from Starkville. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you for your question. Good morning, Doc. How are you today? Good. So I have a question. Um, 
regarding when you cough and then you swallow, does that phlegm go down uh, back where it came from or does it go in your stomach? What happens to it? Sure. Yeah, when you cough something up, we call that a productive cough, which just means when you cough, you cough up some of that mucus. Mucus is protective. Your lungs use that as to sort of trap foreign substances, whether that's dust in the air, whether it's viral particles or bacteria. And then there's little cilia, which are these little hairs in the lower airways that sort of it sort of pushes that up into the airway, and then when you cough it up, it's in the back of your throat or your mouth, and then if you swallow it, it does not go back down in the lungs. It goes down into your stomach, uh, and that's assuming that you have a normal swallowing mechanism. Some people can't protect their, their lungs or their airway that way, like if you've had a stroke or uh, certain other conditions, but generally that goes down in the stomach, and in the stomach, uh, you know, the stomach is a very acidic environment. Normally, it has a pH of about two to three, which is pretty, uh, you know, that's that's pretty acidic, um, and it helps to break down food, but it also breaks down in this, uh, uh, viral particles and bacteria as well, so it helps. It's one of our body's natural defenses against infection, um, so you don't need to worry about that. A lot of people say, well, if you're going to cough up something like that, you should spit it out. That's fine, uh, but if you swallow it, you know, like kids do this all the time. They don't They don't spit stuff out. They just swallow it. And um, mm-hmm. but that that doesn't go back into your lungs. It should go, you know, down into your stomach. So, um, can you develop uh, lung problems like interstitiary pulmonary disease or COPD from living with a cat and a dog? You can have, well, yeah, the, so we call those pneumoconioses. So it means that you have a, a something that you're exposed to. Sometimes this is occupational as well. For instance, farmers sometimes can get um, can get a hypersensitivity to some things like hay uh, that they're uh, that they're exposed to, or it could be something growing in that. And pets can be, uh, you know, something that you get that. Usually COPD, you don't get that uh, that condition or interstitial lung disease, but you can get a hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which this is a fancy word for saying you got inflammation in your lungs from something you're being exposed to. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, pets are our family. I get it. But sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is remove yourself from that, that source that you're getting exposed to. But if it's your occupation, if it's, you know, your pets, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Um, there are certain tests that a a lung doctor and sometimes even, a you know, your primary care physician, internal medicine doctor, family medicine can order some lung function tests that may help. And in some situations, further imaging of the lungs, like a CT scan might help too, or a chest X-ray. Um, but if, you know, if you're continually coughing up something like that, you, usually it, it's that contact with it. Uh, it typically doesn't lead to the same kind of process as, as, as COPD. Usually that's associated with, with smoking. So uh, I drink this tea called Breathe Easy, and I take capsules called Clear Lungs. And it seems to be helping, but I still have uh, lung congestion. I can hear it when I uh, lie down at night. And uh, so is that in 
indication that there is a problem I should see a doctor about? Yeah, it could be. I, th- I think I probably at this point, if you're doing those other things and you're they're not, you know, you're still having that uh, those symptoms, I would go see your regular doctor and get them to check you out. Again, it, it may not even be lung related. Sometimes heart conditions can cause similar symptoms as that, particularly when you're laying down. So, if you're still having those that you um, that you uh, described, I, I would go see your physician at this point. And can bronchitis or pneumonia cause irregular heartbeat and slow heartbeat? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So anytime you get sick, uh-huh. particularly as you get older, you can uh, you can have irregular heartbeats uh, like atrial fibrillation we mentioned in a previous caller. Uh, that can that can happen in those situations as well. Uh huh. Okay. Thanks for all the information. Yes, ma'am, and thank you for calling. We're going to go to uh, Ron from Leaksville right before our next break. Good morning, Ron. What's your question for this morning? Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Just a comment. Uh, I had two transplants in 2020, a liver in uh, February and a kidney in December. And uh, then about three and a half weeks later, uh, in January the 17th, I think, I got my first shot. And uh, my doctors at Optioner, uh, they were hesitant about me getting shot at first, but then they finally came around and said that I should. So I've gotten, uh, I got my first shot, and I'm two and a half weeks out for my second shot now. So there was a previous caller that asked about that, and I'm also on self-tep and uh, and and uh, immune 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 injection pills. So for that, whoever that caller was, I think it was George Clinton. My doctors at Optioner told me to go ahead and get the shot. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm hearing from most people, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, and again, you know, this the vaccine was available super early as vaccines go, and it's just impossible to 100% say, okay, particularly for special uh, patients with with these types of conditions. But I'm glad you got it. Uh, You know, certainly you don't want COVID under those situations, uh, and you don't want to mess up what's going on with sounds like a good, you know, response from a double solid organ transplant. So congratulations to you for that. But Ron, I appreciate you sharing that and uh, that we can get that word out there. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions and listening to your comments about all kinds of medical problems. Appreciate everybody who's called in so far. Busy day. That's good. We get more information out there. Do uh, ask that if you're uh, on hold or not able to get through, keep on calling. we got some plenty of time left in the hour. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, let's go to our next caller. We're having to do this a little bit differently today. Uh, Barbara from Her- Fairhope. Yeah, I am uh, driving through the Wallace Tunnel, so you may lose me. Okay. Uh, but um, I'm heading your way. All right. My question is this. I'm here for my second Pfizer COVID um, shot tomorrow. And I also just turned 65, so I need the, um, the Prevnar uh, pneumonia vaccine. And is there a suggested time interval after you get the COVID vaccine to, to get another vaccine? Sure, yeah. It's a bit of conjecture, and we just don't know because it hasn't been tested in conjunction with other vaccines. So we don't know. I, you know, what I'm hearing and what I've been telling patients is wait at least two weeks between those. Uh, it should be fine after that, but I probably wouldn't get them just at the same time. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Yeah, I got another question for you. I've been hearing through the grapevine that uh, people are having more problems with uh, what local pain at the injection site and, and uh, fatigue and fevers from the second dose of the Moderna rather than the Pfizer. Do you know anything about that? You know, I've heard both. I've uh, I got the Pfizer vaccine. My wife got the Moderna vaccine. We're health, you know, obviously I'm a healthcare worker. She is too, and uh, she didn't have much problem with the second dose. I have heard more people, and my personal experience was I have more side effects with the second dose. First dose of Pfizer didn't have any problem. The second dose, a little bit of aches and pains, a little bit of headache, and a little bit of fatigue. That lasted about 24 hours and then immediately went away. So it's not long-lasting, and that's the consistent thing I'm hearing. But it's interesting. Some people have have those side effects. Some people don't have any. So it's just sort of variable. Okay, great. All right, thank you. Appreciate your uh, your program. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Nancy from the Gulf Coast. Who's next? Nancy, what's your question this morning? Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, I was wondering, uh, I don't know what exactly uh, 
how big an area it is that people are supposed to boil their water. If you use any tap water, um, is that just up in the Jackson area or is that all over? Uh, just in those areas that had breaks in their water system or they had decreased uh, um, uh, pressure. pressure. Yeah. So if your water was fine through all of that, you don't have to do anything differently unless you hear something from your water supply company. But yeah, just just for those, it's not that widespread. Water water is really delivered locally. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. really. It's not that far that it's delivered. And there's there's I don't even know what the total number is in Mississippi, but it's a lot. Even within city systems, you may have different sub- sources for that water. Uh, I know here at UMMC, we have our own water supply uh, that's mm-hmm. separate from the city of Jackson on our main campus. So it's, you know, everywhere is a little bit different than that. Uh, but whatever, wherever you're getting your water bill, they sh- there should be a number to call if you have any kind of questions, and they can let you know if, you know, if you need to do that. But if you had noticed any difference, I, I, you probably don't need to boil it. I don't drink the water out of the tap and never have oh, since yeah. Katrina. I buy yeah. my <laughs> my water bottled. Fortunately, I can. However, can you tell me is there what kind of differences there are between the distilled and um, I had heard that you should drink water that's been reversed osmosis. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, there's different ways to purify water or to uh, to filter it. So reverse osmosis is a way of uh, basically. Osmosis is a transfer of different materials across a membrane that are in water. And um, reverse osmosis is a way of trapping particulates you know, on one side of that membrane. And it's just one of many methods uh, to use to, to filter water. Distilled water, of course, boils the water and then captures that water that comes off as a vapor and then condenses again as a liquid. Um, now, you don't have some of the, you know, there's proponents saying, well, you lose all your minerals that are usually in water, like in well water and those kinds of things. And that's true. There's a lot of conjecture about whether or not that's beneficial to your body. Um, so, yeah, there's different ways to do that. Um, certainly, you know, everybody should drink clean water. Uh, and then, of course, treated water is either with chlorine or iodine or some other substance like that. UV radiation is another one I should mention which kills particles in the water but doesn't take out the, the, uh, all the dissolved minerals in water. I see. Okay. Do, do you recommend then, though, that everybody over 75 should be getting these shots? Yeah, that's the, that's the recommendation right now unless there's a contraindication that your physician has told you about. So um, mm-hmm. ideally, even to protect our older individuals, we would need about 70% of the population vaccinated, and that would include everybody. So Mm -hmm. I would expect as we get through the summer and into the fall, we'll even be, uh, you know, unless there's any kind of contraindication that's seen, that we would offer this to children as well. So I would expect to see it extended. But yes, if you're in the 75 or older group, that's the highest risk group for having complications from COVID, and I would I would recommend getting it. Mm-hmm. Okay, my husband was in the uh, in the hospital and then in the nursing home and put back and forth three different times. He got the he got his first um, um, shot at the nursing home on the twentieth, 
of uh, December. On the 27th, he was then taken back to the hospital to have some staples taken out of his leg that apparently had gone bad. Um, And so he, to my knowledge, did not get the second one. Well, he has since passed away, but we wonder if it was those back and forth and back and forth trips that um, helped to bring on his death, but I'll but most of mostly it was senile degeneration of the brain. Yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> um I would just um hope for the people who are in nursing homes that if you have to go to the hospital, stay there. <laughs> you, uh, that's right. You make sure yeah. you're well enough to go back and forth. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you for that advice. You're probably right. It's it yes. anytime we go across those environments we're at risk for either getting something or taking something in it. That's true. Isn't that the truth. All right. Thank yeah. you, sir. I appreciate All your right. program. You, you, God bless. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You take care. We're gonna to go to Charlotte in Cleveland next. Good morning, Charlotte. Thanks for calling. What's your question this morning? Um, I have a comment of a personal experience. When I heard the Prevnar vaccine mentioned, I wanted to share that um, I had the first first and only Prevnar um, two years ago uh, on the 1st of September, and my arm is still swollen and uh, has muscle weakness, and it also... Uh, has arthralgia pain that continues to hit just, uh, and when it hits, it feels just like the day after having the shot. And it had to be, um, the place where I had it had two other people that the same thing happened to, and they had to report it to the CDC. Uh, Is that a rare occurrence, and will this pain and swelling and weakness go away? Yeah, that's that's a good. You brought a, a couple of good points. One is there are uh, you know instances that sometimes that's either a a situation. It sounds like that 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 vaccine batch may have been something wrong with it, um, particularly if several other people had problems um, that received the same batch of Prevnar, um, and it could have been a contamination in that that happened you know anywhere from manufacturer all the way to when it was, you know, right before it was given. Um, so it, it is something that you need to report that we have to report really those back to the CDC so that they can track that back and see what the problem was. But it, unfortunately, unfortunately for you, you had that happen and others, but it is a rare occurrence um, that you can have swelling at the site of an inf- of a, a vaccination like that. But usually that goes away within 24 to 48 hours. Um, so this is a rare occurrence, but unfortunately, it sounds like it, it did happen to you. As far as how long it would last, um, that's sort of hard to say because of what was involved. Now, sometimes if it's a – there's little nerves that run through that area that we give vaccines in the arm that um, they can sometimes be affected with giving, giving actually giving the vaccine. So I, I don't know if you're seeing a pain specialist at this point since a lot of that sounds like it's pain-related or a neurologist that specializes in peripheral neuropathies, but that may be two avenues to explore to try to see if there's any kind of alleviation of that. All right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. All right. We're going to go to Gwen in Holly Springs. Good morning, Gwen. Hey. 
Um, listen, I, I don't know if this is related to COVID or not. Uh, I had COVID back in September for a couple of weeks. and mm-hmm. uh, But I've noticed I've been sleeping 10 and 11 and sometimes 12 hours a night. Is there any harm in sleeping that long? There's not really a harm in that. And I will say that's a common side effect after having COVID. I've had um, probably 10 plus patients that that's the major complaint that they've had, even months sometimes, unfortunately, after COVID, the fatigue and increased sleeping. There's not really a, you know, a, a, if, you, if you didn't get that much before and all of us requiring functioning during the day and not having other symptoms with that, that's probably okay right now, and I wouldn't encourage you to push it, um, you know, to just to, to get less sleep. But if it if it's associated with anything else like chest pain or if you have trouble sleeping at night, uh, if you're waking up and can't breathe, you know, I'd tell your physician about that because they may want to do some further tests. Or if other people are saying, you know, your, your breathing is a little bit disordered at night, maybe it sounds like you're not, uh, you're, you've, uh, you're not breathing appropriately, that may be something to have a sleep specialist look at you too. But as far as just the amount of sleep time, I have heard that quite a bit after COVID, and we don't really understand why, but the fatigue and your sleep have been some of the major long-term complications. You know, if I if I set an alarm for nine hours, I, I can get up and seem like I'm pretty all right. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think, I think that's fine. But I wouldn't worry too much about getting, you know, uh, a few more hours than mm-hmm. what you were previously. Okay, thanks so much. Yes, ma'am. All right, I think our last call uh, for the hour is going to be Becky and Jackson. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. Um, Thanks for calling. What's question your question? Is, I'm sorry. Um, my question is about water. Um, if I have an ice maker in my refrigerator, is that is that water unsafe? I mean, is that ice unsafe? Uh, if it makes ice and you lost pressure and your water wasn't you know it's not clean yeah that could be usually i'd recommend throwing out the ice um, okay you don't need to necessarily and even if you have a filter in there those filters it's mainly for taste uh i have the a filter filters, uh-huh yeah so the filter in refrigerators it just it depends on the refrigerator and you know some of them are sort of a little bit better in filtering out the bacteria and viral particles Usually they'll have a uh, a uh, description of the, how many microns that it filters okay. out if it's that kind of filter. Uh, anything less than about eight microns is pretty good at, at getting rid of those kinds of things. It, you know, if your water's already treated, it's not as big a problem. Um, you know, but if you lose pressure and those kinds of things, you shouldn't have to flush that system though. Really, uh, I would just dump out the ice that's in your your freezer. Uh, your refrigerator and uh, just start over. Uh, the other thing is most of those filters are more for taste. Um, and it's just sort of polishing up okay. the water and it's uh, getting out some of those chemicals. So, okay. but yeah, I probably would do that. Well, I think everybody in Hines County, I mean, I had an actual pipe burst and I had to have the plumbers come and fix it. Okay. So um, what I'm doing now is boiling the water for my pets, but I have bottled water mostly. But if I was to use the tap water, 
How long, how many minutes do you boil it? Uh, at least a minute. I would probably do two just to be sure, but at least a minute, and that's a rolling boil, too. It's not, you know, that would be, that would be a, you know, it actually, it's not just bubbling up a little bit, but a rolling boil. Okay. And then when you're taking a shower, I've noticed that my eyes burn when I'm in the shower. Is that from the contaminated water, you think? It could be. It could be. Um, I would probably, you know, just try to keep it out of your eyes as much as possible. Usually it okay. doesn't burn like that. That's a little bit unusual. It shouldn't be from like a viral infection or, a, okay. uh, you know, some kind of bacteria. But, yeah. um, you know, you, you may want to just sort of avoid that. And certainly you wouldn't want it in your mouth. Other other thing, other question people have is uh, brush your teeth. I'd use bottled water for that too, or oh. water that's been boiled. Definitely, um, I use know. my bottled water. I have one of those quarters yeah. too that I can use. But I am a stage four cancer patient, and I just don't want to get those contaminants in my system in any way. And so I'm just right. trying to be careful. But most people in Hines County are dealing with the same problem. So I just wanted to make sure that if you use tap water, you have to boil it, and from for over a minute and then come to a rolling boil and then um would it be safer to take a bath uh you can i mean as long as there's no open cuts or something like that that should be fine uh but shower should be fine as long as you're not getting it in your mouth um you know i've I've, it's interesting like i had sort of flashbacks to doing uh medical mission trips in in honduras where you, <laughs> with a lot of this, I have this interesting thoughts come back uh, about that and just not opening my mouth or those kinds of things. The other thing is washing clothes. When you do get water pressure packed, you don't have to, like, boil water or that kind of thing. You wash your dishes or clothes uh, oh, okay. using said, detergent. I know, because I think that uh, Governor Reed said, or somebody said on the on the uh, TV that um, to uh, – if you're bo- if you're washing clothes to boil the water, and I'm like, well, if you're using hot water, why do you have to boil? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, if you, I don't it know may if have been a, they, it may they, have been they may have else. yeah they may have misspoken on that one. They, certainly for clothes, you just you know use the regular detergent and you should be fine. Okay, and then uh, and so the dishwasher is okay too because it's hot. Yeah, dishwasher. Yeah, hot. it should be fine, and you know making sure that you have the. Um, dishwashing either liquid or or whatever you normally put in there. That's a big fun. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio.